MSW Media. This isn't sacred, okay? So fuck you and your fake sport. Any sport where you can use a car is a fake sport. You have to be in shape to play sports. Are you allowed to have a gut in any other sport? Besides, they all have guts because they drink and eat too much at the clubhouse. We all know why you're out there, golfers. Stop acting like you're doing it for the love of the game. You hate your family, and that's why you're there. Do what the rest of us do. Go to a bar, okay? Own it. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Welcome to the show. I'm Dan Dunn. Coming up uh, in just a little bit, we're going to have the founding member bass player for Faith No More. Billy Gould is going to be joining us. Very excited about that. The the funny gentleman you heard right before the theme song, old friend of mine, and I do mean old. No, I'm kidding. He's, he's a spry young man. He's very funny. And he's going to be joining me right fucking now. Joe DeRosa. How are you, buddy? What's up? How are you, buddy? Good to see you. You're good looking good. Good to see you. I do mean that. You are young and spry. Thank you. I don't look good though. I'm very overweight at the moment. I gotta, I gotta lose some weight here. But you look good. You always look good. You always look fit. I don't understand how a man of your intake stays as fit and as as firm, if you will. It's the cocaine. As you do. It's cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh This is actually a true story, and I can tell this story. So on Christmas Day. I had a couple of my little tiny pod of friends that have all been COVID tested. We're here. It actually was just my, I don't want to say who they are because this story could go the wrong way. Oh, Billy's here too, but we'll get him in a little bit. So we came over here as a couple and another friend and we didn't make any arrangements for food. So we're thinking, you know, like in past years, we'll just get some Chinese food. It's Christmas Day. All the, So what we find out yeah. is a lot of the places were not open out here in Los Angeles. I mean, dude, that's a double whammy. It, California and Christmas Day, and you're trying to get good Chinese food. Yeah. I mean, that's you're that you're you're really whew. yeah. So here's playing against the house, man. So here's what we end up doing. We go well. We find a place that's open nearby here in Venice, but they're not delivering. Or you can't right. you can't get delivery. So what we find out later is that so many people are trying to get this shit. So it's only like a mile from my house. So I said, all right, screw it. Let's just drive over there and get it. So we drive over, and it looked like a Hollywood premiere. There were so many cars. There were about 30 people in line. No joke. This is a strip mall Chinese food place. So right. we're like, what are we going to do? We can't wait in line for this. Like, what's the solution? And this was the solution. Okay. Somebody had been at my house a couple months ago and- we were partying a little bit and they left behind the party favor. So this was the solution to Christmas dinner. I said, you know what? I think I still have some of that cocaine at the house. We could do that. And then we won't want to eat. <laughs> and that's what we did. That was did work? Chris- Christmas dinner. Cocaine. Yeah. That's how bad yeah. things are in the pandemic life. And by the way, I say this to all my sponsors out there. 
As far as you know, I'm only kidding about the cocaine. Now, Joe. An hour later, an hour later, you're on the phone with the guy. Like, <laughs> I know, it's, I know, it's Christmas. Could you meet me? <laughs> Could you meet? Come on, man. Um, how you been, man? How you holding up during all this pandemic life? I, I'm okay, man. You know, I'm okay. Uh, I'm having a hard time staying in a in in you know. Uh, Last last shutdown, I had a quarantine group, and it was really easy. I saw the same four people, and that's they were the only people we saw, and, and I knew it was safe. But I launched this sandwich shop uh, pop-up thing um, at the stand in New York City about a month ago, and um, I've never done anything like that in years. For years, it's just been touring, doing stand-up, and then, like, you know, podcasting in, in recent years. But I hadn't had a real, you know like a like a like a like a proper job you know what i mean yeah like in a while and it's not that i have to be there every day but i have to like kind of pop in and make sure everything's cool and make sure we have the inventory we need and talk to the guys and you know it, it's there's like work that you have to do and um it's just made it harder for the quarantine because i have friends that are super strict that are like can you hang out and i'm like yeah i could and i have been tested and i am negative but I do have to go to this place every day and technically be around a few people to get these sandwiches out and stuff like that. And it's made it, it's made it a little more complicated to like sort of lock down a group, you know, so it's a little more free for all this time, every man for himself, uh, which makes it a little tougher. And then, you know, try not to just, you know, completely booze myself away in private, you know, but I mean, you can only play the fucking Xbox the new Xbox for so long before you're like, Jesus Christ, man, I'm going out of my mind here. You you're know, on like, Xbox? We got to get some soccer going, me and you. I'm, I got FIFA soccer. You fan? I don't know how to play it, but yeah, sure. Even better. Uh, <laughs> and I can win. So, Joe, beyond just loving talking to you, and, and you can come on this show anytime you want, of course, but the reason Thanks. you're on this particular show is that I, I happen to know that you are a big Faith No More fan. That's correct, right? huge huge how long in have fact, you been a fan of the band uh since my senior year in high school um I, I graduated high school in 1995 and that was the year their king for a day uh, album came out and i was unfamiliar with them up until that point except for the epic which was, was the song everybody knew because it was played so much on mtv and i was strictly uh, a rap guy i still am i'm, I'm a huge hip-hop guy um and that was kind of all I'd listened to. And my senior year, I started kind of breaking out into different types of music and becoming interested in some different types of music. And um, Faith No More was sort of the, I want to say, like sort of, a, a, you know, a gateway band for me. Because um, I had a friend, who, his name was Dan, and he was in college. He was a year ahead of me. So he was in, a freshman in college. And he had, I was working at a place called Rainbow Records at the time. And I got him the King for a Day album. Uh, because he wanted it and I could get him a discount and he would play it around me constantly. And it was one of those things. And I hope that if Billy hears this, he understands what a compliment this is. Um, it was one of those things that when I first heard it, I was like, I fucking hate this man. Like, turn it off. Stop. Like, please stop playing this around me. And then like the fifth or sixth time he played it around me, I was like, wait a minute. I, wait, I was wrong. I, wait, this is awesome. Right. And he was like, yes, I've been trying to tell you it's awesome. So that year, so then I went and bought the album from the store uh, that I worked in. And then we went to see them play in Philly a few months later on that tour. Hell, 
Helmet? No, Helmet didn't open up. Oh, Who opened up? I love that band. Yeah. I can't remember. It wasn't Helmet. Helmet was a, an older tour. But um, but anyway, um, it was incredible, and I just I just became obsessed with them. And then I got Angel Dust, which I think a lot of fans say is the sort of seminal Faith No More record. And and Angel Dust was the record that stopped. It was one of those records that stopped time for me. Wow. Like I just so this is I exciting would, for you. This is exciting. It's really exciting. I would skip class my freshman year of college to listen to Angel Dust. Well, here's the <laughs> That's thing: how much I like the record. <laughs> we're doing this over Zoom right now, and I can see it says Bill Gould has entered the waiting room. I don't want to leave Bill waiting, so why don't no. we? Why don't we? We're going to take a quick break here, hear from a sponsor, and then we're going to come back with Joe DeRosa and Bill Gould from Faith No More, and we're going to do some talking and some drinking. So we'll be right back after this. Folks, I've never admitted this on the show before, but I'm a guy. Yeah, it's true. And as a guy, I'm here to tell you that so much of our identity is wrapped up in our hair. That's why when we get into our 20s and 30s and start noticing the first signs of hair loss, it definitely feels like panic time. Thankfully, now there's Keeps, the simple and easy way to keep your hair. Treatments start at just $10 per month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. That's right, free. Go to Keeps dot com slash drinking to receive your first month of treatment for free. Take care of your hair and your hair will take care of you. Joining Joe DeRosa and I right now is the bassist and one of the founding members of the fantastic band Faith No More. He was performing in Budapest back in 1992 and he fell in love with a fruit brandy called Rakia. He loved it so much. Last year he founded his own brand called Yabiga Rakia. And I hope I'm not screwing up the pronunciation too much, but this one I know I'm going to get right. Billy Gould. Billy, how are you, man? Good, good. How are you? Thanks for joining us on the show, and you've met Joe already. Uh, Joe's a big fan of the band, and as I am as well, but I think Joe takes the cake, actually, has seen you guys. How many times have you seen Faith No More, Joe? Uh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not like, I'm sure there's people that have crushed my, crushed my number of times, but I saw you guys. I was just telling the story about King for a Day was the record that that kind of broke me into Faith No More uh, my senior year in high school. So I saw you on that tour. I saw you on the Album of the Year tour. Uh, and I saw you three or four times on the reunion tours. Uh, in the East and, Coast? Uh, yeah, Philly, Brooklyn, um, uh, Philly again. I think it was all Philly and Brooklyn, or, or Philly and New York, rather. Yeah, I was about Those to fly Those were both to, great. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were, I was at the show in Philly when Mike Patton climbed that, like, scaffolding thing halfway through the show i don't i mean i remember it's where was it where was you know i'm from philly so where was it the trocadero or something like that it was at an outdoor place um the man music center maybe yeah it was the man music center that's right that's right that's right yeah he climbed like this weird scaffolding on the side and all the uh uh, union guys like ran out because they were like if he falls i guess we're all going to be a lot of a lot of shit but he got down he made it down it was good But yeah, man, I'm a I'm a huge fan, dude. It's I've never met anybody that's in the band before, so I'm I'm really happy to meet you, man. This is a this is pretty cool, and I won't I'll shut up now. This is just Kathy Bates' moment. <laughs> yeah, I'm your biggest fan. 
we're going to hobble you later. You're going to be hobbled, yeah. Bill. Yeah. I think the new album should go like this. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, Bill, did I get that right, though? You It was in 1992 in Budapest? Is that how that's you what, came to find? Am I saying it right, by the way? Rakia, right? Rakia, yeah. Yeah, the deal was uh, we played in Budapest 92, and um, just people were going into Serbia around that time, uh, and, which was Yugoslavia at the time. So kids are taking buses up from there to check us out. Like, there's some kids from Bulgaria that took a 12-hour bus to get there in 92, and I met them. Funny thing is, I still know these guys. Uh, but it was a big deal back then. Uh, and, you know, one thing that you would bring uh, would be Rakia. And, and I didn't know why then, but what I realize now is every family, you know, is involved in Rakia production in that region. Like, they're on the farm and they make it with their own fruit. Uh, and um, so that's something that you can give that's actually very personal. So, yeah, I tried it. The stuff I had wasn't that great, but uh, it's a kind of distinctive word. And, you know, we, we Well, it's kind of a moonshine, to, right? I mean, you know. Basically, it, it, it is. It is, but you know, it, it, moonshine really doesn't give it justice because they've been doing this since about the 1100s, and with the, this really regional fruit uh, and the land, they've kind of figured out how to dial it in. So, just moonshine just sounds kind of you know off the cuff. Right? Yeah, and and by the way, I, as I say that moonshine, what that technically means is it was illicit spirit being made. It, um, but the light of the moon, because to avoid the yeah. authorities, and that was mostly here in the United yeah. States. I guess what I meant to say was just families being made in the home. Well, it yeah. There were Homemade. no, there were no quality right. standard, uh, quality standard of what you were going to get. Right. That's right. Right. Yeah. But you know, I mean, so what happens is, is when you're with a family, they have the good stuff for the weddings and the funerals and stuff. You know, their stash. And uh, you know, as I was touring with, I toured with about a smaller punk bands and stuff in the area too. And um, you know, they give you the really good rockia because you're the guest, and uh, it, some of it's just absolutely incredible. And it just stayed with you all those years. It's it's a funny thing yeah. because I just the guest before you on the most recent episode was uh, Steven Soderbergh, the director, and a oh, very yeah. similar thing. He fell in the, yours is a Bulgarian brandy. He fell in love with a Bolivian brandy known as Singani. Right? Have you tried right. the Singani yet? I don't know. I haven't. You, I want to though. I know it's, about it. It's fantastic. It's very very, very similar story to yours where he had made the movie Che. And the casting director was from Bolivia. They were at a, a, a party in, in Barcelona, Spain. Stephen tried it, and he was mm-hmm. so struck by it, and he loved it so much. That thus began a 10-year odyssey to sort of bring this thing to market. So it sounds very similar to what very happened similar, to you. Yeah. actually. Yeah, I, for me, I would come home, you know, and I would really jones for it because it's really different. Uh, the stuff that, you know, I have is made out of plums, but it's, it's really you can't get anything like it. And I, I went all over the internet. I was like writing to people. And, uh, you know, the only way I would get it is if somebody, you know, would, you know, I knew from the region, go, you're visiting your family, bring me back some fucking Rakia, you know? And they would. One time somebody had a really good one. And I remember they're handing it to me and it slipped and it broke on the floor. Oh, and I, it's like, you know, that's that upsetting. You no, know, that's, yeah. I mean, and, and the thing is, though, that I, I got to know people from that area because it's something I kind of had in common. I realized that everybody kind of who lives in the States, who, you know, comes from that background, does the same thing. They bring it back from home in their suitcases. And I'm like, you know, the stuff that you can get in, you know, BevMo and all that. I mean, it's it's kind of, you know, it's factory produced and it's not the kind of stuff you have in your home. And it's like, I want that stuff. So that stuff you're talking about, though, Bill. 
we so that's not com- that wasn't commercially produced rakia that you were drinking mostly when people no, would it was bring ha- homemade only family home- stuff the stuff I that was never yeah okay yeah. back there i mean if i'm out there you know if I'm, I'm in serbia and i'm hanging out i'm like let's go get rakia you know you don't think of going to the supermarket and buying rakia you go get the family's rakia and you drink that kind of like how tequila was in mexico maybe 30 well, years ago you know I, I mean it's very i was thinking more mezcal very, very similar to Mescal. I mean, that's what happened. Right. You know, yeah. uh, a guy named Ron Cooper, who's Del McGay Mescal. Okay, Ron is kind of the guy who was responsible for bringing Mescal to the United States. And he was traveling through Mexico in the 70s, and he would be in Oaxaca. And it's exactly what you're describing. He would mm-hmm. go visit families and things, and they'd have their, you know, they, they're making it in the backyard. They're putting the, they're cooking the agave underground in the backyard and making it in little ceramic. And so he was trying this, and, and obviously you'd have variations in dr- dramatic variations in quality. But when you had the good stuff, this is how Ron described it to me. He said, it just, it just, you couldn't get it out of your mind. It's, it's when you make that connection. And I remember when I had my first good one, and it was like, it's a weird thing. It's almost like a spiritual connection you get. You somehow connect, and it goes all the way to the fruit into the dirt. Like it's it's an amazing thing. Well, it's kind of like it, what Joe was talking about. Yeah, it's kind of what Joe. It really is. When we talked earlier before you came on, Bill Joe was you know talking about his love of the band, your music, and the memories seem very vivid, Joe. Like when you were describing the record store and everything, like it's music Incredibly. and spirits are like that, right? They just stay with you. Yeah. yeah? I have. I, oh, sorry, sorry, Bill. Go ahead. I mean, it's like you're you're trying to find a way to express pleasure, you know, and experience pleasure, you know, with music or with with drinks, and it's it goes. It's 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 when you get it that then you see why culture is important, you know. Three things, in my opinion, three things speak to the, you know very specifically to your sense memory with experience. It's music, food, and alcohol. I agree, hundred percent. You know, it's hundred percent. Certain times a year, you're like, this is my beer time. I go into my beer, you know, mode and whatever. And then like you go, you know, I I almost only drink tequilas in the summertime. For some reason, it just resonates with me as a warmer weather bet, probably because of where it comes from and everything. But it's the same thing with food and the same thing with music. You hear songs that you love and you go, I remember that every time I hear that, I can smell the bar that I was in. Uh, you it's know, very interesting. It. It's yeah. very important. It's, it's a yeah. weird connection you get to something bigger than yourself. And you know, I, when you talk about alcohol, it sounds like, oh yeah, you like it. You like to get drunk from it. It's different than that. When you're talking about like handmade things, where where they're actually trying to respect the ingredients and stuff, you're actually tasting the essence of something. You know, it's it's not just getting high. It's 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 a different thing. And, yeah. and 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 it makes and the buzz is different. You you talk to people, you don't really get aggressive. You you get happy. Mm-hmm. It's different. I got to imagine, Bill, that you when you drink the rakia, does it transport you back sometimes to that you know to the early '90s when you first had it, and maybe those people and and the places. It does. No, it does. I I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't have a rakia that did that. Actually, did so my rakia actually does do that, and. It's cool because I know what it felt to me when I had that feeling and, and I feel like I have something like that. But when I brought it here and I've given it to people like from Serbia, like check this out, they're, they're like, whoa, you know, and we have this kind of weird bond, like kind of I'm like a track dealer or something. And just so everybody knows, <laughs> just so everybody knows what, what but, Bill's brand is called. Yabiga, right? Am I saying that right? Yabiga, Yabiga, which means screw it, right? Let's do this, right? Fuck it. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. And and PRVA is a prv. 
Purva. Purva. Means the first. So this is your this is your first one. And and uh this is made from plums, and that's Serbian style. Is that Serbian style? Um, you know, they make they have plums in Bulgaria, they have them in Macedonia, they got them in Croatia. Uh but the plums in uh Serbia, they're these special plums that come from this region in the middle of Serbia that we use called Chachanska Rodna, near the area of Chachak. And they just kind of have this own thing that they do with distillation. Uh, and Serbia kind of is known for barrel aging their plums. And it's just, this is a classic Serbian brachia. Well, I'm going to try it right now. Joe is not because unfortunately we weren't able to get him any in New York yet. It's not available in New York yet, but it will be soon, right? Yes, it will. I think at the end of January, beginning of February. So Joe, I want you to just yeah. watch my face. And try and okay. imagine what this tastes like because you can and live just, vicariously through me. I'm going to go in here and just so everybody knows, it's got this beautiful light golden color to it, very, very vibrant color. And and on the nose, and and I tell everybody this all the time: when you're nosing liquor, it's not like wine. Don't ram your nose into that glass because it'll burn out your nostrils. Okay, so you want to kind of hover over it and smell it. It's got this very floral, citrus, vibrant uh, notes. Just smelling it, and then. What's it taste like? Wow. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely getting the mm, vanilla. Is there vanilla on that, Bill, would you say? It's from the oak. Yeah, it comes from the oak. And then some spice there, too. I'm getting a little bit. Of, it's a nice balance there between the sweetness and the spice. Well, you know, these plums are different than what we know as plums here. We have the Stanley plums here, and those are a little more acidic. They have a little more, uh, I don't know, they just... They're they're just different. So you could probably tell that it's a plum, but not probably like a plum as you would normally associate with, right? And and this is just meant to be neat is how it's consumed generally. That's how the players do it. That's how it's always been done. Uh, I think something like this, um, you know, it's 18 months only in the barrel, but but th- you have to be a little careful. You have to mix a little higher proportions with the rakia because it disappears, some of it. Uh, with a mixer is the mash bill just is is plums purely the starch source here or is there is there that's it it's, it's just plum. all plum it's plums wow. from a farm from a farm of a family that's had that farm for a couple hundred years and how did you find them uh they they are actually rakia masters in serbia and i met them uh there's a there's a thing going on in serbia right now where they're kind of discovering this it's not just a folk spirit anymore they're actually becoming to respect it as part of their national heritage. And there's experts now who are evaluating it properly and tracing like uh, where it comes from in the way uh, kind of what's happening with mezcal and, and what's happening in tequila. And uh, so through these guys, I kind of hooked up in that world, which really actually put me over the edge and said, I've got to do this. I mean, this is an amazing thing I'm, I've, I've kind of stumbled into. And um, this family is, is one of the best. They're, they're the perfect, they're the perfect partner. It's a good partner so for they you. Do that. They do that, but it's it's like hand picked. It's like hand bottled, and uh, even the, the 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 oak, the trees came from that mountain. I mean, it's it it doesn't get any more rustic than that, actually. Joe, how do you feel about what you're not tasting right now? <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have questions. So, what you know, uh, what is it most reminiscent? I mean, I'm, I understand obviously, Dan, what you're saying. It the the notes are and all that is it sort of like does it is it sort of a scotch experience or it is in a way i well you say yeah i mean i don't want to tell you how you i I would say yes and no i honestly a little bit more pisco to me so you know it's a a lighter spirit you know it's you're not you're when i you're not going to get any smokiness or anything on there that's not here but uh it it kind of reminds me of a of a pisco you know and it's got uh there it's 
it's a little bracing and and I mean that in a good way like when you drink it you know you're drinking something I could completely see people you know sitting around in the farmhouse and do they actually say is there a, a toast that you say with as you say Hyabiga? Jivali 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 you know Hyabiga there's a there's actually a Serbian uh there's a Yugoslavian TV show where a woman married a guy. Uh, she was German, and she came to Serbia. And he told her that "yebiga" means toast, <laughs> and she said it at the at the table, and everybody was just completely shocked. What are you doing? So, what was it? Wait, tell um, me the it's toast. Actually, "jivali," uh, with a V. "Jivali," "jivali," uh, "jivali." Now, Bill, where when do you traditionally uh, drink this this uh, this liquor? Is it is it is it like an you typically in a, a digestif or is it a, a pre-dinner thing or is it, you know, it, or it's is it all, an anytime thing? It's, it's all, all like, like you have it in the morning when you wake up with your coffee, you have it uh, <laughs> on your cornflakes. Yeah. Uh, because it opens it up. Uh, you can have it with a meal. You can have it as a, uh, a digestif afterwards because there's a really long finish. Uh, and people like, you know, if the tractor runs out of gas, they use that too. Yeah. yeah, I think it cleans the house. If you get sick, you put it on your chest. It's like yeah. part of the family, you know. But they, they do—they yeah. drink it for whatever all day. I mean, it reminds me of you. Dan brought up uh, the mezcal correlation. It remi- I grew up in an Italian household, and my parents' best friends are the the husband of the couple is is from literally from Italy, like uh, immigrated here when he was a kid. But he's big into grappa, you know, and this reminds oh, yeah. me of like the the vibe of grappa and like, but and but that's something when I go to his house, that's always after that's after dinner, you know what I mean? It's kind of like wine with dinner. Right. But that's the, know, I think we can all that agree stuff starts coming out afterwards. COVID sucks, huh? but if there's one good thing about COVID, all that shit's out the window now, right? You know, like I I remember very early on yeah. in the pandemic, <laughs> I'd sit there and I'd be going, man, it's only eleven a.m. I probably shouldn't have anything to drink right now. And then I was like, well, what the fuck else am I going to do today? I'm here all day. It's just me. <laughs> you know, and I actually would experiment. I'd be, I'd be, I'd go, you know what? Maybe I'll start now. I could take a little nap and then get it in later. Get another session in two in one day. Who cares? Yeah. And I do yeah. a podcast about drinking. So you said it, you said it, but sorry. Oop, yeah. Lost you there. For I was gonna say, what about your family in Italy? Uh, I mean, this is all the Roman empire and you know, 2000 years ago, these are Mediterranean people and, there's a lot of similarities in that whole region going all the way to Turkey, you know? Yeah. It's, it's very similar actually derivative. Oh, that's interesting. I can't wait to try this stuff. Man. What would I'm you do with a cocktail though? What would you do? Bill? Would you, I, I was thinking possibly like a, uh, I mean, you could, I mean, you could do a Negroni with this, I think for sure. They, I've had one and it was actually pretty good. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned that I'm actually coming up with another flavor now that's not barrel aged that will be for a cocktail that's going to mix uh, because this one is just, I, I feel like, you know, if you have something that's nice and aged, you don't almost want to put it in a cocktail. You're, sure. You're, you're what's the new, what's the new expression going to be? Uh, it's going to be called Bella. This is it's going to be this color. Okay. Basically oh. this, um, and it's that. something that it's something that's a lot cleaner, more like a sleeve of it. It's like you would know from, from the Czech, yeah. you know, that comes from like the Czech, Hungarian, Slovakian area. It, it's, it's very similar, but still with plums from the Serbian area. Now, uh, when you started yeah. this, Bill, were you a- with this was last year, so it was pre-COVID, right? Yes. So, were you able to go out and sort of do the circuit a little bit and start working the bar community, or you didn't really get that opportunity because the pandemic hit? 
after. I did. I did. I, mean, I was in Chicago like the day before the lockdown started uh, doing that. Um, it's a little different because um, nobody knows what Rakia is in the States. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm starting from zero. So it's not like I can work it that much because there's not a lot of people that really. But again, even I'm just exp- I'm just going walking bar to bar. Yeah, I'm doing that. Nobody sure. knew Singani either. I'm telling you, a couple right. of years ago, I went to Tales of the Cocktail, which is the biggest festival cocktail festival in America every year in New Orleans. And Soderberg was basically introducing Singani and I'd never heard of it. Right. And I've been doing this for right. 20 years, right? I, right. Nobody, right. nobody in the right. States knew what Singani was. So, right. and, and I think now he's kind of broken through and he's got, you know, he's got the, uh, the TTB is about to give it its own designation here. So I think right. it's certainly the path is there for you to do well, this. It, I mean, it's already opening up. I mean, we're doing, we're doing pretty well right now. I mean, we're, we're selling this stuff for people who actually didn't have an experience with it. So that's really good. Uh, but you know, we have to be modest in what we can expect for distribution in the beginning. So, you know, we got California, you know, we get it over to Chicago cause that's the biggest Serbian population outside of Serbia. But now that it's had about a year to kind of start, you know, gelling in, you know, it's, it's, it's making a connection. I fucking love it. That's awesome. I think it's delicious. I'm, I really, I really mean this. And what, what's retail on this bill? Um, around thirty eight ninety nine, I think. That's great. Yeah. Yes. Great. Good looking I bottle. Love to, I love to Bill. We were talking about this before you came on. Um, I, I, this is a, a honest question because I've been doing stand up and touring for uh, twenty years or whatever, and you know it, it's fun. You get to go out and perform, and you're obviously no stranger to touring. But I just started doing these sandwiches. Uh, I started doing a sandwich shop in New York here. And mm-hmm. do you find I have found such enjoyment and fulfillment out of doing something like that versus the entertainment business? It's such a change I of do. pace. It's so gratifying to just be like, here's a thing we made. Enjoy it. There is absolutely. no. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right? You yeah. know, it's, I mean, it's funny, you know, when you get into the point where like with my band, you know, a touring circuit, I mean, people love the music and, and, we have, we, we, you know, I, I like what we do, but, um, you know, back, you think of always the early days when you had the cassette and you were trying to get into clubs and when one guy liked it in the audience, you know, and bought you a beer at the bar and what, what that meant. And, and mm-hmm. I feel like I'm kind of back on that level of one-on-one kind of yeah. turning on a person directly and watching the light bulb go off. It's yeah, great. That's a great. I love analogy. it. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you're not getting, you know, you're not getting notes from your agent, you know, I like it. <laughs> Could we ramp up the uh, Could we ramp yeah, up the right. enthusiasm a little I, bit here? You know, yeah, on, nobody's uh, telling me how to make the stuff. That's for sure. As the host of a show called What We're Drinking, people often ask me, "Hey, what are you drinking?" When it comes to American-made whiskey, my go-to is Rabbit Hole. The unique recipes were created by their founder, a guy named Cave. He and his team at Rabbit Hole spare no expense in making their bourbon and rye. They have their own cooking methods and use top-of-the-line grains. They never chill filter, and they use barrels that are toasted, charred, and wood-fired, which almost nobody does. What you end up with is a line of bourbon and rye with these really rich, deep flavors that are unlike anything you've ever tasted. What are you having? It's a question as old as the bartending profession itself. And if you ask me, the answer is Rabbit Hole. I have one band-related question. This is the only question I have for you, Bill. It's okay. because it's been eating at me for years. So when I was in, uh, when I had just gotten out of college, it was about the year 2000. I was in Austin, Texas, and I went to one of those. Remember they used to have the record shows that you could go to, and, and the vendors all had bootleg VHS tapes of concerts yeah. that you could buy. Yeah. 
I bought a Faith No More concert. I think you guys were in Barcelona, and it was for the King for a Day tour. And you came out on it was televised in Barcelona, and it was a bootleg of the broadcast. And you guys came out on stage, and Mike Patton is so out of his fucking mind through the entire thing. At one point, he's having the audience members spit directly into his mouth. <laughs> he's got his oh, that was Chile. Out. Oh, Chile. That yes. was Chile. Yeah. That was yeah. a great, great show, actually. That was, was a great show. <laughs> it was awesome. Was that just sheer... What was go? What was in the air that night? Because I was like, man, they I mean, are there. That's what got us off, you know. It, it's that whole like, <laughs> let's take it somewhere insane, you know. And the more yeah. we got into, you know, more popular we got, and we got into these bigger size venues. You know, a lot of insurance comes with that security, and you can't do these things anymore. And when things start getting chaotic, it's that's that's the charge, right? Yeah. That was yeah. a special night because that was the September 11th of I think probably 1996. And uh, I know that because Chile has a September 11th. That's the anniversary of when um, Pinochet bombed the uh, the, the uh, Moneda really? uh, and took over the country. So this is a heavy day for them. And wow. so, you, you know, you're playing a gig and spirits are hot, you know, and it was just on, you know, you, you just a night like that. It's just you just got to go for it. And, and at that time, they used to show their appreciation to you by spitting on you. They used to think like. Like I touched, I touched them, you know, by <laughs> spitting on them. And, and I know a yeah. lot of fans, I know Motorhead went down. They didn't like it. Kiss got pissed off, but we were like, fuck that. Bring it on. Like, <laughs> and it's so, it's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, like Mike Patton, Dan, Mike Patton at one point, I mean, uh, ah, like this. I've seen it. I, I, I gag. I, I've seen him <laughs> on that film and I gagged thinking about what I saw then. I know, I know. But I, you guys, yeah. so what was so funny is you guys did a cover of Portishead, um, Glory Box. I just right. want, I just want to be a woman, that song. But I first heard it with you guys. And I was like, oh, this is a really cool <laughs> B-side they're doing. Like, I never heard this song. And then I got the Portishead record, and I was like, Portishead is covering a Faith No More. So I couldn't, I couldn't put it together in my pot-addled brain at that age. Like, that. no, Faith No More covered the Portishead song. <laughs> but, uh great show what went into those decisions by the way bill because you obviously your your most famous cover is the commodores easy you know which uh got 100 million listens on spotify what whose decision was it to cover that one because it would it wouldn't have been an obvious right choice we were in a bar we were on tour with guns and roses and we were we were in a bar uh on a night off and easy went on the the uh the speakers and we had a few drinks and us. We were like, we have to do that. It was just one of those like, yes. And it was like, that was it. It was done. Awesome. <laughs> we learned it the next day and we played it right after that. And the funny thing is people were there, you know, we're coming to starting to see us like expect war pigs. Like that was starting to become like our song. And, you know, that's cool. Um, I mean, but it became a little bit not cool. Like we started becoming like we we're expected to do that. And you were a metal band. The, you're talking about the black. They're talking about the Black Sabbath song. The Black Sabbath cover, yeah. And we and um, it just became like, yeah, you know, we'll list throw easy at them, and that'll kind of like clear the air a little bit, give us some breathing room again to do what we want. And you also, they, they Dan, they also did a great cover of "I Started a Joke" by the Bee Gees, which outside of the states was also a pretty big hit for you guys, right? It, like, it kind of was, and that was yeah. another spontaneous bar scene. Um, we were in Guam. <laughs> 
and we were at some bar and it was like, I there's a lot of military people in Guam, right? So mm-hmm. it's basically a military island. And we went to some bar and there are these huge screens in this bar showing hardcore porn, okay? And it was like, <laughs> I, this is fucking, and there's old ladies in there drinking. And I was like, this is really kind of weird. And then the song, I Started a Joke, came on. <laughs> on the one screen with like, like blowjobs and this one and something on the other. And, and it was a karaoke one with all the lyrics and the lyrics were just so depressing. It was like next cover. <laughs> it was like, God was telling us. You got to you know? do that. One. And so, and so everybody knows Faith No More, you guys were started in San Francisco, right? In 1979, you Rod. No, it's 80, 82. 82 okay. Actually. And you Roddy bottom yeah. and Mike Borden were, were the original members of the yeah. band. Right. And then Chuck right. Mosley, was in so the the first my introduction to Faith No More was We Care a Lot, uh, and that was Chuck Mosley, right? Yes, yes, and he's a guy I knew from growing up. I was in a band with him when I was like fifteen in L.A., and he came into the band. Um, yes, around eighty three, something like that. Yep. And then and then awesome. things go south with Chuck, I guess. South, we could yep. say. Yep. And then yep. how do you how do you, yeah. how does Mike enter the picture? Mike entered the picture because we played up in Humboldt County and. Uh, some kid gave us a cassette tape of their band called Mr. Bungle. And um, we heard it on the bus uh, or on the, on the van coming back. And Jim, our guitar player, was just like, this is the band. I played all the time. And when things weren't working out with Chuck, Jim was like, call Mr. Bungle, call Mr. Bungle. And I just thought it'd be some big metal guy with a leather jacket, you know, that, you know, like just some caveman, right? <laughs> and it was Mike. It was this really nice kid. who was like 20 years old who came down and it was like, the, on the same side, like, I don't know if this is going to work either. And uh, we, we went to rehearsal with him. We brought him with us. And we were thinking, man, we must be freaking this kid out completely. And we played some of the songs we are working on. And he's like, I kind of had some ideas. Uh, I said, like, okay, let's turn on the, the, the Ghetto Blaster and let's, you know, sing in the microphone and let's see what you do. And I listened to what he did. And I was like, man, he got it, like, on the first pass. <laughs> like, he was just one of those guys who was like, he's our guy. It's That's fantastic. And wow. it's amazing when you get these, you hear these stories about bands that have – uh, they have a lead singer and then they replace the lead singer and right out of the gate you come out and that's what happened with you guys. You came out with your biggest hit, right? On the first album with Mike. Yeah. was Actually, yes. I mean, it didn't come out like that. I mean, we toured for about a year and a half. We played this weird kind of music at the time that didn't really fit into anything. So, you know, the record came out in 89, but we really didn't get picked up with that record till probably 1991. That's when we got with with epic Recognized. with that that song it yes, took a while for yes. that and that was yeah MTV put the video on and it worked uh, but that came a year and a half into the album so it was kind of like we thought it was done man we'd been touring the whole time we were getting nowhere and then that happened amazing that's incredible but it did happen i love the spirit of everybody in the band because obviously the band itself is much bigger than the band you're all doing right. all this other crazy awesome interesting stuff i I love that uh roddy still does imperial teen i love that you're out producing uh and playing with all these black norwegian metal bands and you know what i mean and all mm-hmm. that stuff mm-hmm. uh mike's you know singing with uh, piano players in in italy and shit like that i mean it's just wild it's so cool to see all of you do it. so the spirit of the band it's so cool that after that big it, it, it kind of reminds me of what Queens or Queens of the Stone Age reminded me of Faith No More when they followed up 
songs for the deaf with lullabies to paralyze mm -hmm. and josh homie was in interviews going it's not going to be the big album you all think it's going to be so just shut the fuck up and i loved that you guys came back after uh uh the uh um the real thing with angel dust and this thing that was just so much darker and instead of just saying we could ride this wave and and do a xerox of that album you were like no 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 we're gonna keep going down this progressive road we've been going down and it's so incredible man the, the first tour i ever saw you on was at the tla in philly yes South yeah. Street, yeah, and after, or, or sorry, it might have been at the Tower. No, it was the TLA, I think. And you guys came out after every, almost everybody had left. There was only like thirty of us left, and the lights were up. And you guys came back out and played Caffeine just through the amps on stage. Uh -huh. And people, I was my friend Jimmy Rockwell. He was, I've never seen somebody lose their mind like this at at a like. He was going, you got the fucking brightest. You like I thought he was going to pass out. He was screaming so much, but it was such a cool thing. And it was just like, you know, like even at that age and, and that being one of the first rock shows I'd ever gone to, I knew in that moment, like this isn't something that bands do. This isn't, these are guys that are not just in the music industry. They get it. They're artists like they're taking this to a new place. And I think that goes into this thing you're doing with the liquor and everything. It's very, like, very similar actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like this, you kind of got to go with your gut. If you're really connecting to something, I mean, you kind of have to, you got to go where it's telling you, you have to. I mean, and you you don't, I mean, it was a little harder going from, you, you described Real Thing to Angel Dust, like, because we did have the success, these doors were kind of opening to us. And, you know, a lot of where we went was perceived very negatively by people. Like, why are you fighting your own success, you know? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we were thinking like, we've got to, if we can keep our core together, you know, we were not going to become all those horrible bands that were great and went to shit. You know, we don't want to be that band, you know, uh, right. we want to kind of keep keep that thing that we have now, you know. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, we I took the beating from that in a weird way, even though it's great to look back at it now and say we did the right thing. It, it, it wasn't didn't always feel like it. Um, but with this, I, what do I care? What are you going to do to me, man? This is this is where our head is. This is where I'm going to go. Plus, I've already I've already given you this. I've already given you the seal of approval here, Bill. So you, I, you've I'm made here, it. You, if you if you want to talk to me, I've already won. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny when you when you bring up the band. This am I wrong here? One of my memories, and again, they were booze-addled memories of Faith No More at that time. Was you guys took shit. You were one of those bands that got shit. Wasn't there a beef with the Chili Peppers or something back in the day? I kind of vaguely remember that. We've had a few beefs, yeah. Like just like yeah. weird we're, things where they, they it was had that was a the, beef with us. Yeah. yeah, that was the days when everybody would yeah. go, they're they're selling out or they're doing this or whatever. And I think with wasn't the Chili Peppers thing that he was trying to be like Anthony Kiedis or he he was that Mike was. I mean, obviously, Mike is the younger guy, and he obviously, you know, liked the Red Hot Chili Peppers when he joined my band. This, sure. is, this is just a fact. Um, but I think that he really admired them in a good way. I think that they, our success kind of trajectory went faster than theirs did, and I think that they took that in a very competitive way. Uh, There's not enough band beefs now, though, are there, Bill? Like bands don't beef anymore. Well, do I, they? I think I think we still have them yeah. with them. Because <laughs> like, I, rem I, re yeah, I remember back in the day, man, they'd be like, "They fucking sell out." Like this guy, and and especially back in the early, yeah. like the early punk scene. Because I was that was me, man. Back in like I'm older and okay, yeah. okay. 
Oh no no. So, yeah, so I, I remember. So I remember. World, so yeah. I remember shit like in Philly. There was a place called the Philadelphia Skateboard Park, right? And it was an abandoned skateboard park, and that's where bands would go and play. Like I remember seeing Fear there, and I and I and then and 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 then when the West Coast bands started coming, because I was on the East Coast, you had you know you had like Minor Threat, and then and then the New York punk bands, and then when the when Black Flag and the, and then the West Coast bands started coming. It was like a big, it was a big thing. Like, you know, like, they, they, fuck these mm-hmm. guys. Fuck. Similar to what happened with rap, right? But everybody, we totally. were all, we were, yeah. we were all misfits. We were all like in the, you know, right. and they were all traveling the same fucking highway in the same van, you know. But it's very tribal. But it was very tribal. And guy, like, there were yeah. beefs, man. And that shit was fun. And there's not enough beefs now. Well, you know, it's interesting. There were beefs, but also you could see a band like the Meat Puppets. And then you can see a band like Black Flag, and there was no contradiction in that yeah. at all. Mm-hmm. And they're completely different from each other, and that was completely fine. You could have reggae in your album collection, and you could have James Brown, and you could have, uh, you know, God knows, Discharge. Yeah, you know? fine. Incredible. Now, I, I, don't, I don't see that so much. You know, and everybody's like, why are you doing this, and why are you doing that? Like, it's fuck? It's one of the reasons that I was I was a big, big rap guy growing up. I still am. But it was one of the reasons that I loved Ice-T so much. Ice-T to this day is one of my musical idols. If you go get Ryan Pays, the first Ice-T record, the title track, which is track one, actually the intro first samples Tubular Bells, uh, you know, the song from The Exorcist yeah. or whatever, which is so cool and weird. And then track one samples uh, War Pigs. Ben-ant. Bam, bam, bam. Like that's the loop in the in the Ice T song from 1987. It's like no rapper was doing that back. Wait, 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 goes, wait. I disagree. There was what? one band that did do it a little. We're sampling that kind of stuff. Was the Beastie Boys, man? Right on, on, on license. Yeah, right. License. Right. Right. There was I'm sorry. two Zeppelin samples. There was a Clash sample. Uh, yeah, yeah right. but but it's same same period right. of time. Yeah, but yeah, it's but it's interesting. Are we it's beefing like, now, Joe? Are you and I, and I beefing? Are we beefing? We're beefing. You know, see, let's podcast. get some beefs going here. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> Here's a Dan, a fun YouTube rabbit hole you can go down. Just type Google on YouTube in the search bar. Type in Mike Patton shits on, and then it'll just, oh, <laughs> it's just like Wolf Mother, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Motley Cri- And it's a very fun ride to go on. I used to play it when I wrote on the Pete Holmes show for TBS. I would play the clips of him for the writing staff. I'd be like, watch this one. This is real funny. (laughs) You, uh, Joe, when you mentioned the Theater of the Leading Arts, you you got me thinking about something that I'd love to get your opinion on, which or both of you I'd love to hear from, which is your, your biggest band, smallest venue. Thing. So mine was right down the street from the Theater of the Living Arts, which is on South Street in Philadelphia between 3rd and 4th Street, okay? There was a bar, 3rd and South, which back then was called J.C. Dobbs. Any chance? Yeah, any, I, any, I know, I okay, know so, it well. I started comedy across the street from there at the Laugh House. At the Laugh House, that's right. Yeah, so J.C. Dobbs is classic started. bar, just tons of bands. And I'm not going to act like I'm cooler than I am, but we were, obviously I was into hardcore music in this, my cousin Dennis had this demo an album called Bleach. We all know Bleach, right? And and one night he says, "Yeah, let's go over to Dobbs, man. This band's playing, the Bleach band, which was Nirvana." And saw mm-hmm. them at JC Dobbs. I mean, this is a tiny bar, you know, Joe, a little bar. Saw them there, yeah. and I will say this: I, what I do remember, they did play that night was about a girl. That song, which would become on, you know, much later. But that was my biggest band, smallest venue. Bill, what's yours? Uh, it would be when we first went to Seattle, 
our first gig was in a place called the Central Tavern, and nobody knew who we were. There was probably 20 people that came to the show, and we had a local opening band that nobody came to see. I mean, they were just opening for us, and who the fuck were we? Uh, and it was Soundgarden. Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> wow. And-, and I think there was actually a band that opened up before Soundgarden that was even less known, and Tad uh, of Tad was the drummer. Oh, Tad, band. yeah. I mean, well, that, that yeah, whole yeah. fucking scene, man. I mean, because I was like, you had Mud Honey up there, but one of my all-time favorite bands that doesn't get mentioned much when you talk about the Seattle scene is Screaming Trees. Oh yeah, sure. Well, they were from Ellensburg. Was I that what? It, wait, where? I don't think they were actually from. Well, they moved. They to moved Seattle, there. Okay, yeah, but I mean, Ellensburg. that's where they kind of came up, though, right? The Screaming Trees. Right. And Lanigan right. was actually, from what I understand, Lanigan was the last person Kurt Cobain talked to. When he was alive, he called him that night. Yeah. Anyway, Joe, what, that's oh, interesting. I was just going to say that's interesting that you brought up Lanigan because I always felt like Lanigan, the, the, he was one of the guys I really liked out of the grunge scene. You know, I wasn't the biggest grunge guy, but I, you know, I, I loved Nirvana like everybody else and, and I enjoyed some of the Pearl Jam stuff and whatever. Lanigan was a guy that I really, really took to, particularly in his solo work. And I connect him very much in, in my head, at least, to bands like. Bill, like yours, and like Tom Waits, and these other art, like there's there's a there's a seemingly invisible thread that connects a lot of artists for me in my head with just their approach to versatility and and genre mashing and 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 whatever else it is. So that's interesting that you brought them up there. Yeah, they're they're I, I, that song "Dollar Bill" by the Screaming Trees is in my that's a, it's one of my island songs. If it does, you know, had to take it with me. Now, Joe, what's yours, man? What's your what's your biggest band, smallest venue? I saw, well, I, I, I have a story that's better than mine. Mine is okay. I saw Spoon in a dorm basement at Drexel University. Um, and it was weird. It was when the Kill the Moonlight album came out. So, like, in my head, they were pretty, because I had lived in Austin two years before that. So, down in Austin, Spoon, they were like gods down there. They were the local heroes or whatever. And, I when I moved back home to Philly, they played a basement in a dorm building in Drexel. And, like, I was like, this they're like they were past this like two albums ago what the fuck is going on but it was just because they hadn't quite popped yet and then cut to two years ago on my birthday i saw them at the hollywood bowl and i was like <laughs> well so that's they, crazy they've come a long way but the best story i ever heard about this was uh aaron perry whose son who's the son of joe perry from aerosmith is a good friend of me and bill burrs and and when me and burr used to have a radio show Joe Perry did an interview with us for the show and we asked him this question like what I mean you've been around forever like tell us the one where you were like you saw it before anybody mm-hmm. and he told us about when he said Aerosmith had just become headliners in Boston and a group that nobody had heard of from Australia called ACDC was opening up for them <laughs> and he said he said you know we were all like feeling ourselves and we were backstage and we're like yeah we're the headliners and he goes i'm gonna just go check these guys see how the young guys are doing and he said he went out to the main room and just slipped into the crowd and he said i saw angus young on stage doing a guitar solo while doing the curly shuffle (laughs) on the ground and he goes how the fuck are we gonna follow this wow (laughs) that's amazing and he said uh he brought them back to their place and they drank every drop of fucking liquor in his in his house like cases and cases of booze I'm shocked to hear that. <laughs> was Soundgarden your eventual biggest opener? Oh, uh, we had a few. 
I don't know. Gee, uh, my mind doesn't work when I think about things like that. But they were, they might be. Yeah. Yeah. Probably, actually. They went on the farthest for being the smallest. Gotcha. If that makes any sense. I saw you guys at the electric factory when Limp Biscuit. Oh, yeah. Anybody- they would be another one. They were another and one. Yeah. They got booed off stage that yeah, night. No. You saw that. Yes. I that saw was- that. That was a very pivotal show too. That was a very interesting because Fred didn't like, didn't take the uh, criticism well. Yeah, they got booed off stage, and I swear to God, Billy, I was sitting there going, "These guys are never going to go anywhere." And then a week later, I think it was, I saw them on, like the MTV Beach House, and they were like the biggest thing. Like it was, they, yes, yes, it was, they blew up so big, it was crazy. But yeah, they got, I, I got to see some, yeah, I got to see some, uh, as you said, pivotal shows. <laughs> Of a now, Bill, movie. last question here for music. Do you have any? We mentioned, you know, the Man and the Hollywood Bowl. What are some? What are some of your all-time favorite venues to play? Venues to play. Venues, venues, venues. There's there's a lot uh, because we toured a lot. But I would say, wow, that still exists or that that are yeah, gone whatever. now. Or no rules here. I mean, there was a place uh, in, near Detroit called Blondie's. It was called the worst venue in the United States. <laughs> Uh, that I have a soft spot for because this is so bad. <laughs> it was great. Um, there's um, a place called Rock City, Nottingham in England. It's a great place. Um, place called the Barrowlands in Scotland. That's great. Um, so it sounds like you like the hard scrabble places, man. I do. That's where I come from. You know, I like you like your background. I have a punk background. Yeah. So to me, that's what I thought was rock and roll. Was you know. Directness and immediacy. It's a funny. Years ago, I I was a columnist in Arizona, and I wrote a a piece about Orrin Hatch. Remember the senator from Utah? You know, he was considered extremely right back then. He'd be a liberal now, but uh, yeah, I know, but I, right? I, I wrote this piece that, and then I got to interview Henry Rollins, and we're talking. This is twenty plus years ago, and then I got to interview Henry Rollins because he was coming to Phoenix. That's where I was columnist, and and. So we start talking and we get in, and he asked me to send him, we started talking about this piece I wrote and it was about censorship and I, I sent it to him and then he hits me up a while later and he says, Hey, I'm, I'm going to use this. Uh, uh, I'm getting my timeline wrong, but it was later on that we ended, ended up coming back to Phoenix. And he said, do you mind if I'm going to incorporate this into my spoken word? I'm going to put it on my album. Like, Fuck. Yeah. Of course, do yeah. that, right? So, awesome. so then he comes back to Phoenix like a year later, and he's doing a show that theater in the round in Phoenix. You know what I'm talking about? I, I can't remember yes, the name I of do. it. Yeah, it's, we played. I'm there. Sure, yeah, everybody yes. plays there. And Joe, you probably did comedy there too. It's a, it's in downtown Phoenix. It's a theater in the round. Probably ten thousand. Yeah. I think you're uh, vastly over. Oh come on, man! You're bigger than you raw. than I imagine you are. Uh, you know, but um, so I we go to the show, and Henry asks me to stand up calls me out in the middle show, stand up really? and says, and he does this thing. And I got to say, thinking about it, Bill, thinking about the early punk music and the scene and where we would go see shows and people just moshing and spitting and all the, it was a pretty special moment to go. Cause that to me, nothing was ever more real to me than That's that right. scene. You know, you'd have, it might not ever happen it's again. never going to like, I remember because it couldn't with the, in the internet age. I remember like right. I was friends with guys that were in the really heavy into the scene. They'd be like, Oh, my friend, Mark Pingator, he go, Oh yeah, man. Uh, Stiff little fingers is coming through town from Ireland. Remember the band? And they're staying at my house. Yeah. <laughs> 
Like yeah. you would stay at people's houses, you know, like bands that yes. we worshipped. You're like, what? You're right. like, are, are you kidding right. me? The circle jerks are coming through? Yeah, and they're staying in Pingator's yeah. basement. What? Fuck, I mean, they're the biggest that, band right? in the world. Yeah. You know, they yeah. weren't, but in our minds they were. And it just, it was it, it was so genuine and authentic. And you remember like the zines, like you'd have all the, that's where you learned about music or you'd go to the record really? store and there was no internet. There was no telling you what you should be liking and there was no brands. It was just, I'm ranting. It's, it, I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's no, the, it's the Yabega talking. It's the Yabega talking right now. Yeah. It was a different, there was a different uh, uh, level of a- uh, accessibility then, and I think that that really added a real, uh, um, you know, sort of shimmer to everything. It added the glitter to everything. It was like I remember you'd find record store. You know, I was talking about buying the chili thing. When you found a record store that sold bootleg cassettes, where it was like they have bootleg. Cassettes. I mean, that's magic. Yeah, yeah that's it magic. Was, yeah, it's magical. You're finding the holy grail. You had something that nobody like you you would get it. I remember getting those tapes, and half the time they were shit. You guys remember that, right? You'd buy that bootleg tape, and you're like, "What the?" It sounded like somebody had the tape recorder up their ass while they were recording this thing, right? But every once in a while, you'd get a great one, you know, and you get it, and you're like, "Oh, it's it's uh, whoever it was." Like, "Oh, there, it's fucking X in Amsterdam," you know, and you'd get it, and you'd be like, "Please be good," and you put it in, and it's like you'd hear, you know, yes. Yes, it's fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah. And you felt like you had totally. this thing that nobody else had because who else had it? How many of those did they make? Yeah. You know, there's an the energy thing. there. Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't want to steer this back, but Rocky is the same thing. I mean, yes. when you have something made on a farm, like, and you have that energy, you're catching this, this mythical thing, like that of kind of like a life that doesn't exist anymore. I mean, everything is mass produced now, even when it isn't, it is. I mean, if you look at the United States, a market this big, a product cannot exist unless it can be made to scale, you know, and uh, handmade shit is just it's. So how are you almost. doing it, Phil? How are you doing it? This is punk rock. It's handmade, but it's I'm in the beginning. I don't know where it's going to go. I mean, I don't know how much if you can make enough to actually have it make, you know, where, where, where it becomes available on every shelf. I don't know if that's even possible, but it is real right now, you know, and that's the point is that magic like it's still there, you know. And I think that's, that's, that's the deal. That's, that's what you want. That's the matter. But what I'm curious about is from the concept, when you get the idea, I want to right. do this, what's the next step? Right. You contacted, did you cut? Con- well, God, I mean, I was winging it, man. I don't know anything about this <laughs> stuff. I was, I was in somebody's house drinking tequila all day with a bunch of guys who know their shit. And I'm like, have you ever heard of Rakia? They didn't. And I'm like, I'm just going to do this. And I, and I, I went to Bulgaria and I was with some this Motorhead cover band, actually, in this little village, right? And the mayor of the town found out that I was staying there. And he invited me to coffee the next day. And uh, I was all hungover. And I was like, shit, I had to show up at 8 in the morning. I had coffee with this mayor in this little town. And he gave me a bottle of Rakia, right? And he goes, this is a good one. So when I came home, I had some guys over there. Because San Francisco, there's wine, you know, wine industry. I had some guys that were distributors, right? I said, why don't you come over and taste this? And the guy drank it and said, if you can get this, I will partner with you. And I was like, wow. it's on. Then this is a real thing, you know? And wow. that's so right. It's similar to the punk rock sensibility we're talking about back then. Nobody had a plan. It's like, let's just do it. Completely. Plug in Wing and it. let's Wing figure it out, you know? And, and 
I mean, look at look at the Instagram post of, of Yebiga. I mean, I'm doing them. <laughs> They're like punk rock flyers, really. By the way, what is the Instagram? Give it to us so everybody knows out there. Oh, it's uh, Yebiga Rakia. So Yebiga is Y E B I G A. That's right. And then it wait, it's Yebiga Rakia, one word. I believe it's Yebiga Rakia. Did you ever think, Bill, to do something a little easier? Well, you know what? No, and I'll tell you why. Because there's a million to Balkan descent people in the States who know exactly what the word means and what this is that I've got. So I actually can keep it pretty pure and I'm cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. And something you just said made me, you know, brought me back to what we were talking about at the beginning of all this. Uh, it's it's you're talking about the spirit of this and the spirit of punk and the spirit of of this type of liquor and 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 the sharing of it and it comes from the family and it's made with people and not machines and whatever it's like now it it kind of all makes sense to me now it's like this is why people uh with our mindset love a certain kind of music love dive bars versus uh margaritaville or the sports bar or whatever it is uh why we love certain types of food it it's just all it all just comes together uh in that same spirit of no this is people doing this with their hands and there's a human connection here and i think that's awesome i i want to buy some of this dan do you know where i can I, just uh bill, bill send you some bill says you should do bill okay first i'll hook it for the first one but you gotta, then buy, you gotta buy the rest the yeah no i mean i'm uh, a classic it's a lifetime classic drug commitment dealer. after that you know it. <laughs> <laughs> so how do they Bill, how do they classify this here in in the states is it a brandy it's a brandy yeah yeah it's a sleeve of it actually too it's a sleeve of it and a brandy sleeva means plum in in slavic language is that is that your is that your ethnic background where where are you uh in a weird way my father's side is hungarian jewish near the serbian border but it's weird i just had a connection every time i went there i just felt like i belonged there yeah. I, I couldn't put my finger on why well, I uh, I feel like I belong there now too. I'm. Uh, th- by the way, this is the saddest. Tell you, can I let everybody in on a little sad secret about doing a, a drinking podcast? First of all, you're not drinking, Bill. What's going on here? I'm going to join. Okay, you. there we go. I was going to say, man. <laughs> you, you, Joe and I will talk amongst Damn. ourselves. Joe, do you need to go get whiskey? Uh, I can go talk. Get, while, uh, yeah, Joe's going to get a drink. If he's getting a here, glass, uh, I'm going to read. You know what we'll do right it. now? We'll take a very quick break, and we'll be right back. Hey, this is Charles Woodson, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. There we go. All right, now let's let's we gotta get let's get, some get Joe back here. Givelli. Get oh, Joe good. back here. He so he doesn't have. He's going to do some whiskey. I think just uh, no. uh, this is fun, man. You having a good time? I I don't want to keep you too long. By yeah. the way, do you, no, no. I usually cool. I usually yeah, keep the thing shorter, but I'm having such a good conversation with you guys. Let's yeah. just keep okay, it rolling, dude. right? Yeah. Um, totally. Joe, you good? Hold on, I'm gonna so I'm gonna fun bring fact. us back in. Hold got on, a, got a little whiskey. I'd like, to, I'd like to say a fun fact. Today is actually uh, by Orthodox Church Christmas. Today is. Oh really? Yep. So uh, you would say um, Christos Serogi means Christ is born, and you say Vaistinu Serogi. Definitely. You can you say it for me again? Because I've had a little rocky right now. Uh, Christos Serogi. Cheers, guys. Boom. Cheers. Mike, you got a record label too, right? Mike Patton has a record label. You have a record you you, you have a record label too, Bill. That's what I was yeah. thinking is Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys compete? You and Mike? Do you find yourself going? We're very good. We're very different. Um though we we have similar tastes. We like the same things. He likes a lot of stuff that I do, and I like a lot of stuff he does. 
Um, but I took a totally different direction than him. He um, he really gets, you know, I would say like uh, being a label is like a like a restaurant, right? Where you kind of pick what's 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 your thing that you do. And sure. he would probably go a little more into what you would say hot cuisine, you know, more <laughs> eclectic, esoteric. Uh, and I'm kind of more like a folk folk style. I, I go into places like, you know find a band in, in Bosnia or Chile or something that I find is kind of like, I kind of discover something and try to, you know, give it a platform. But so they're very different approaches actually, but, but I think we both respect what each other do. And what's going on. Oh, go ahead, are, go ahead, Joe. T- tell me one or two releases. Oh, I'm sorry, Dan. Tell me one or two releases from your label, man. I would love to uh, check them out. Ooh. please. Uh, well, the, the site's called coolero.com, but we have, um, I mean, we've been doing this for 20 years. I would say, there's a band from Chile right now that I, that I just did a release. Um, there's a band, okay. There's a band from Russia that we mm-hmm. just released a couple of months ago called USSSY. Uh, it's just drums and guitar, uh, but with microtonal guitar. Uh, and the dude, he, he's got his thing and he does it right. And uh, it feels like an old, like an Afghan uh, truck driver's uh, cassette. He'd be playing driving from. You know, <laughs> kind of hard to Kabul. Um, there's and there's uh, this band Como Cisnar Felipe's from Chile, and they're like a hip hop, but that's really not the right thing to call them. They're 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 very jazz influenced in the the Blue Note school, uh, and they're also uh, they're just their own thing. It's 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 not any kind of hip hop that falls in any kind of category at all. It's very dark. It's got some kraut rock in it, and uh, and what are they I'm called? Not, uh, Como asesinar a Felipe's? I know C C A F. You can do C A F. Just C A F. Yeah, C F is a good way to do it. And they've they've got all the records. Joe, have you heard of Google? Joe, have you heard of Google? By the way, it's a uh, it's, a, yeah, it's a search engine. So Google. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you yeah. I'm going to throw some little bit of my expert advice in here. Bill Gold record label. Let me tell you why I'm not doing that. <laughs> We're in the punk restaurant. rock. You're Philly fucking just, punker. You're caught up in just, the spirit he of punk. Just compared record labels to record to restaurants. We're in the restaurant with the head okay. chef. Okay, I'm just. Yeah. I'm saying, what do you recommend? Well, I don't ask right the now? chef how yeah, to spell the fucking on, ingredient. Man. Yeah. What was that again, chef? Could Anybody you, could, could look you spell? At, well, could, could you spell? Uh, yeah. In, in my defense, that was a. That was how a do you spell name. kale again? C. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. Bill, I'm sorry. I'm, now I'm 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 getting really into the spirit of the uh, Bega here. Uh, but uh, Joe, you take over for a second. I'll just yeah. Go ahead. Well, no, I uh, I think uh, I I love that you're doing all these different types of things, and uh, I just love the I love the spirit of it. As we said, the um what what is the ultimate goal with the because let's let's talk about the 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 drink because that's right. kind of obviously yeah. the main focus yeah. what is the goal ultimately with the drink like because these things are tricky right and it's kind of like you're talking about with your record label you want to keep something grassroots you want to keep it very hands-on and pure but also you want it to be successful to an extent but it seems right with 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 certain ventures it can get polluted if it starts to tip too far in one direction uh, because then people come in and get their hands in it and whatever. So what, what would your ultimate happy place be with the, with the, with the goal? What I'm really doing is uh, two things. I, I'm, I'm fulfilling a service that I think hasn't existed yet where I'm bringing this stuff from home to people who couldn't get it unless they had to fly there themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's for real, you know, yeah. and, and people appreciate that. And that is one thing. And the other thing I think is that, 
how the hell of a region of 60 million people that have this thing they've been doing for, for 800 years, nobody here knows about it. Like, it's disgusting. It, I think that what I really want to do is just bring a good example of a part of a culture that people just think of Serbia like a, like a, some war-torn place, or they think of it's like Siberia, you know? Same with, 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 with Bosnia and, and, and Croatia. Like, these, these places are really interesting, deep places. There's, there's food, there's music. There's a lot of things that come from these areas that are amazing. And uh, Rakia is actually a good example of something they can do very well that's very special to them. And I, I actually am very honored that I can actually bring this stuff here and turn, turn people on to the first time. I mean, to me, this is actually may, might be the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. Was Seriously. there, that's, that's admirable. And I love it. Was there, and I'm curious, was there any, is there any pushback from anybody from that region that would say, Hey man, you're kind of taking our thing and you're bringing it over there. And we don't, I'm, I'm very curious if that could we, be the we, case. I've seen a little bit where some people have commented online, like, the Americans are going to take our thing, you know, and look mm-hmm. at what they're doing. But for the most part, what I've been doing is really, really respectfully. And, I, and, and I'm not I'm not making this about me. I'm not putting my name on it. Like, like right. this isn't like rock musician and his new investment of, uh, you know, his, his diversification with spirits, you know. Right, this is right. this is me. And I, I hang out there. I spend a lot of time. I'm I mean, I feel like I'm family. Uh, in fact, the woman on the bottle, you know, I know her family. I mean. This is really a, a personal thing, and I think people know that. And and I, I feel as much. I actually feel like I feel welcome when I'm there. And that's, and that's great. It's cool. That's great. And and look, the good news is is we made ourselves look so great to the rest of the world yesterday. Oh, so I by mean, the way, you know, it's funny you say nothing. that. It's funny <laughs> you, know, you say that. I, onion headline I saw today. No joke. Today exactly. I saw an onion headline that said Serbia sending peacekeeping troops to the United States. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna, you know, I was gonna have a picture of the capital on Instagram of just the capital and say bringing Serbia to America. <laughs> no shit. And by the way, it's funny. It's funny, Bill. I, I. I love your answer and and how genuine it is. But I really wished you would have just crushed. Joe's, you know, like, don't you never want to meet your heroes? Oh, when he yeah, said, right. what's in it for you? And yeah, you would have yeah, went, yeah. hey, man, I saw what Clooney did, and I figured I could exploit these yeah, motherfuckers right. and make a couple million dollars, and I'm out. Right. <laughs> Sell right, that right, shit yeah. to Diageo, and I'm out. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, I get a real uh, Hagar vibe from you, right? I, you okay, hold thing. on, let me stop you there. Let me stop you there. <laughs> Two things. Sammy, I was genuinely genuinely like sammy just loved the tequila he did his thing i don't yes. th- and he's still involved and he's still doing he's still doing that santo thing now he's doing with uh guy fieri yeah. the man there are the drink, there are right? way more yeah. and not even in close there's way more egregious examples of celebrities that gotten in the booze yeah. game. I was, like the guys I the, I mean, here's the ones i can tell you like that i know personally have done dan Aykroyd. guy is fucking in it man you know the guy is he but, is he's in it we were Is talking. It? We were just talking about Dan. By the way, I was just kidding. It was just cool. a joke, Joe, thank, Dan. About are we Sammy. beefing? Are we beefing? Dan are we really beefing took that right to now? Heart. Are we beefing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, be- we're beefing. Dan was like, I have been to Cabo. <laughs> listen to you. I know. You can listen. When you <laughs> when you insult Sammy Agar, you've crossed the line on this show, dude. I will mute I'm, you. Listen, I will mute you right now. I'm a fan of Sammy by default because I'm a fan of Guy Fieri. So you're getting no beef. I love that Guy Fieri's doing a tequila. The uh, but Ackroyd, we were just talking about this. Uh, me and a buddy of mine, we were like, we were just laughing about like, 
you know, we're talking about SNL and like the legends of SNL and who gets like all the props from over the years. And my buddy goes, what the fuck does Dan Aykroyd have to do to get somebody to recognize this man? He goes hit after hit in the 80s, carried the show through the 70s. Makes his own to uh, vodka, like he's out there, and he goes out like when he's in a bar, he's like pitching it, and he really Dan Dan walks he walks the walk. I mean, that's what I had asked you earlier, Bill. Like if you you got a chance to go out and do it, Dan does that. Dan does that, right? He he is as passionate, and and I find this with every person that has made their name in another is a musician or an actor, whatever. If they really get into this into the spirits world they get seduced by it so much we're almost to a person they've said yeah i I actually like doing this better you know i really do like soderbergh just said to me the soderbergh just said to me the other day he said i when i watch bartenders take my singani and they make this thing and they don't they 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 stand there for two seconds they think and then they start pulling stuff out like a mad chemist and then they push a drink in front of me and it's the greatest thing I've ever had. And I go, that's creativity that happens. I, I figure it's got to be the same way with you, right? When they, when they, it is. You know, it's funny. You meet a lot of really sensitive people, and I, I mean that in a really good way. Where you see when how people react to things, and and you're sharing pleasure, you know. And and it's and music is like it. But you know, actually, when I'm touring in a band. The audience is kind of far away. I actually don't mm-hmm. know what they're thinking. I mean, I know you came to a lot of our shows, but I've never met you before, you know? And right. and I'm sure you dug it, but I never I never felt that. But when I'm having a drink with somebody, I there is a certain thing that that that, that is very immediate. I can understand why people are like that. I can see that I can see the lure, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, look, even right now with the three of us, you know, in this goofy pandemic situation over Zoom, it's like this part of the show is the coolest part to me because we're sitting back having a drink together, you know, for, for any question I could have said to a friend later, like I got to ask Billy Gould this about faith. That's, that's interesting. And that's cool. But this really is the connection part. This is the cool part. We're sitting here, we're having a drink, we're talking. And that does, that is such a special bond for some reason, whatever it is with people. And again, it go, it, it kind of goes back to, Hey, I was also a punk rock kid and I was into that. And you know, I like that place over there because they make the authentic cheeseburger mm-hmm. versus Wendy's or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like there's just for something sure. that's, you know, sitting back with people that really get it and say like, no, I kind of want to get my hands dirty here. And like, now you know, I think if you mix that with what we're doing now and we're both listening to the same music and talking about that, and then yeah. somebody shows up with a big roast and we're all, we're all doing and then you're in the zone. <laughs> I think we have this. I think we have yes, it. I think we I have it. it. The future when we come out of this pandemic, here's what's going to happen. Cause Joe yeah. comes out to visit. I'm in Venice. I know you, you're from this area, Bill, and you probably come down here a lot. So what's going to happen after post pandemic uh, is, and I'm also a partner in a barbecue restaurant here, as Joe knows, you're going to come down. We're gonna oh, we're yeah. gonna get some rakia. We're gonna get the yabega. There, we're gonna get we go. some barbecue, and we're gonna we're gonna spend. We'll do it old school, uh, you know, Balkan style. Five hours. How long would the dinner last there normally, Bill? Oh, it could be five hours, right? Could, we just how sure. many bottles are we gonna go through here with the three of us? Well, you know how much we See? want, right? <laughs> how we go. feel? Yeah, there you go. Feeling good. <laughs> well, let's let's hold on. I'll, let me up the ante here. Okay. Yeah. 
I'll make a sandwich. Ah, uh, there we go. From my shop. There we I'll go. Get, I'll get deal. some. And by the way, Joe, meals, plug this. Plug right? the sandwich. Plug the. We we haven't gotten into this. Plug the. Yeah, let's hear. Yeah, let's do this. Uh, Joey Roses, it's called. Okay. It's a sandwich pop-up shop in uh, New York City at the Stand in uh, Union. The Stand, the, the comedy, in the comedy Square. store, the Stand. Yeah, okay. yeah. So we're doing it there right now, and uh, you know we've been doing it for a month. We're about to do it for a couple more, and then hopefully we're going to be out on our own doing our own thing. Okay, uh, cool. The menu's called the Hard Eight. Eight sandwiches, classic old school neighborhood style sandwiches for eight bucks a piece, and very much. I didn't bring it up earlier because I don't want to talk about my own stuff. I, w- I wanted to talk about Billy's stuff. But, Billy, it's very much in the spirit of what you're saying. Awesome. With, this is a thing that that I connected to. Now, granted, in, here in the States from when, when I was growing up, but it was a thing that I very much connected to culturally, um, food-wise, that you couldn't find, I found, anymore. I thought it was crazy yeah. that I was right. living in New York and the best sandwich I could find was in, like, a 24-hour corner deli. I hear you. At- boar's head or whatever i hear you it's fine like I, that's fine but i just couldn't believe yes. it and i was like it, it's very similar so-? yeah very similar. exactly exactly so we wanted to create an experience for people to come in and like you know uh what what kind really of sandwiches are they? That they could like we're both drooling are, right now are you, are you, are you using <laughs> rye bread are you using like what are you using Every sandwich, all eight sandwiches are on hero rolls. We bake all the bread in the restaurant from scratch. We went through an incredibly long trial and error period, error period to get that correct. Awesome. And I'm very proud of what we finished on. Um, but sandwiches. Smoked uh, meats. Uh... It's, it's mostly Italian style. So there's a, there's a, there's a Asiago cheese, Genoa salami, oh, prosciutto, and, and sweet pepper sandwich. Are you using like oil and stuff too? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a mortadella, cappy ham, Genoa salami, Asiago, and provolone sandwich. Um, you know, tur- there's a homemade roast beef with turkey. Uh, actually, there's a homemade roast beef with horseradish, mayonnaise, and sweet peppers. Uh, that people seem By to the way, I'm, I'm masturbating to this right now. Keep sandwich. going. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God we're on Zoom. That's the beauty I'm, I'm of Zoom. Yeah, yeah. Not for I'm everybody. Doing, yeah, I'm for doing everybody. a tubing. I'm pulling a yeah, Jeffrey that's, tubing yeah, right that's now. That's the guy from the Times yeah. thought. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so come, if you're in New York, come by, please. We're uh, we're open Wednesday through Sunday, uh, 12 p.m. How's it doing, Joe? Is it doing good? It's doing It's doing very well. It's doing very well. I can't believe the reaction we've gotten to it and the it's very pleasing it's it's just it's just so funny to me that we're sitting here all talking about these 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 new ventures and and what billy's doing with uh, his thing and i'm just it's resonating so much with me because i'm just like yeah i get it like it's like when you can just kind of sit back and go no this is a really pure thing there there's no marketing i mean there's marketing obviously but yeah. you know what i mean like That's there not is what no it's about. Yeah. exactly exactly it's just here's a thing do you like it you do Okay, great. That's kind of the end of the discussion. <laughs> you know, like, right? there's nothing really to dissect or argue. Like, let's just like have a good time. So, um, so anyway, I'll come out west. I'll make us sandwiches. We're down. Down. So we got it. We got this. All, we drink. Yeah. Then we eat Dan's barbecue for dinner, and then we drink we more. Drink some more. I mean, it, that's a, it. Sounds good. Yeah. Can I ask one more thing? Because I, we're, since we're going to keep yeah. dragging this on, I love it. Going back to the music, Bill. So. Your style, Joe should probably be speaking to this, not me, but your style of bass, when I was researching, you know, and I know the music, Elizabeth, but when it, your style of bass is loop, looping almost, like looping sort of, like you do something different. Okay, uh, let me, let me drop this famous 
friend's name here. I told I'm friends with Maynard from Tool, and I mentioned okay. to Maynard okay. that you were going to be on the show, and he said, "Extremely unique bass player," is what he said. So you mm-hmm. got that compliment from Maynard, okay. and and so then I started looking it up. I'm like, "What did he mean by that?" You know, we were just texting, and I and then it was like you were you were playing sort of a. Go ahead, I'll stop. Tell us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean. I was never really good at sports, right? So I was never going to play a million miles an hour. Uh, but I like to play and I like music. So uh, I was very lucky that I hooked up with our drummer, who's a very solid, not a complicated drummer, but but between the two of us, we kind of came up with this language where I found a voice for myself to go with his drumming. I would say it could be loop-based because our early music was loop-based, but it's very simple. And I see it more like architecture than than than. I mean, traditionally, bass players either backed up the guitar and kind of were invisible or uh, I don't know. I don't know what they do and I don't know what they were thinking, but I, I kind of find a, well, a way where I liked doing what I was doing and I could still express it. Joe, well, how would you describe you Bill's with, bass playing then? Since Well, I was just going to ask, Bill, you play without a pick, correct? I play with pick and without. It's back and forth. Because, yeah, I've seen I've seen. I've heard a lot. I've heard more than I've seen, obviously, over the years. But like, uh, you know, I've I've definitely seen you at times where you're playing with what looks to me to be without a pick. Sometimes, and it still sounds so aggressive and so incredible, um, which is really fascinating to me because I I love bass players that are able to do that. You know, like pick. Obviously, a pick has its place with bass playing, but when a guy can really make that bass, like, I'm more into that. I'm more into the tone and getting the tone out of it rather than. Uh, a lot of notes and stuff, you know, I get more into kind of like the, the, how it fits in my gut, you know, right. I'm going, I'm going for a feeling. I'm not really going, I don't know. I am just nope. kind of, I'm chasing a feeling. It's like, like eating pork fat, you know, you, I want you, pork fat, you know, yeah. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> I want the grease. You achieved it. First of all, the tone is, the tone is great. And, um, and, uh, it, it, the, the, it's it's a shame. There are a few bands where you could say that the bass is a distinct instrument. Um, it kind of gets shoved. Well, the back. Red Hot Chili Peppers and beef. The, you want to keep the beef going here? No, I mean, right. well, no, seriously, he was a guy though, right? Like but, Flea was a guy that you would think had a distinctive. He actually he inspired yeah. me in a weird way because um, well, we both came from California, and I think we both were kind of punk rock backgrounds at the same time where we were kind of reclaiming like this soul background that we had grown up with earlier that we may might have even repressed a little bit. I was kind of doing that in San Francisco and he was kind of doing it in LA. I didn't know that they were doing it at the same time. When I first saw the chili pepper, I was like, Oh my God, like that's, that's where our heads are kind of in the same Mm -hmm. place. Even though he has a completely different approach and a probably a lot more correct as far as, um, you know, that, that historical part, I still kind of have what I grew up with and what I hear in my head. So we both kind of in a weird way have a similar approach. Every member in particularly in Faith No More, out of all the projects I've heard all of you be a part of, but every member of that band plays their instrument. They're not just there to service the instrument. Everybody's playing their instrument. So it's like, I remember my buddy once said to me, we were listening to uh, Free Will by Rush, and it went into the breakdown with the solo. And my buddy turned to me and he goes, when somebody solos in Rush, everybody solos. (laughs) And it's like, Faith No More is one of those bands where it's like board and style on the drums with the amount of Tom work he's incorporating in your style with the bass, like you said, where you're picking notes versus and going for a feel versus just, you know, servicing the guitar or 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 filling out what's not there. Um, 
the airiness uh, of the guitar playing, uh, and you know, of course, what Patton does on vocals, what Roddy's doing on keyboard, it's it's truly incredible. You know, I remember the first time I played. My buddy Jim was was into you guys before I was, and then I got King for a day before he did, though. And I remember playing at him for him for the first time in the car, and we were stoned. And what a day came on. And it, it went into that part where it drops into your bass line mm-hmm. over just the drums. And he turned to me. We were so high. And he just goes, that is such a thing. No more bass line. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, yeah, like, that's what I came to learn as I got deeper into the catalog. Like, and I think Soul Invictus uh, is, it's my arguably second favorite Faith No More album. I think it's amazing. As you were talking earlier about, well, you know, we were laying the foundation back then and it didn't always feel good, but we wanted to set ourselves right for the future with the type of artists we would be. You, you, you did the right thing. You're, you're, you guys are making incredible stuff still. We can and, do whatever we want. That's the beauty. Yeah. yeah. And you listen to the end of a song like Superhero, and I think the average listener would go, well, it just kind of repeats. And it's like, no, it doesn't <laughs> just repeat. Like, listen yeah. to what everybody's doing. Like, it's everybody's kind of doing their own thing it's 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 really incredible what you guys do so like uh i i think like everything you're saying you're going for you've you've achieved it absolutely because as you say it i'm like that's how how i felt when i heard it you know so nice man and yeah. by the way not just not just Boys the way you play bill but also the way you look when you play so i i did a couple uh i did went on you i don't know no, what no, that you, is but, <laughs> I'm you actually you actually have a cool look you know, not everybody. Okay. So when I was watching some videos, live videos on YouTube, like you look cool when you're playing. And then I started thinking about that. I was like, who are the coolest looking? So obviously, I'm going to get a complex. Now. Well, John Paul, I mean, look, start playing. how am I looking? No, what I don't mean, I, I don't mean physically how you look. I mean, I mean just the way you yeah, I know. carry no, no, I, Like, so yeah. it's like John Paul Jones, right? Like just, yeah. You could see it, right? Like the way yeah, you he just has, jump yeah. on, and the fingers are going like this. And even uh, uh, um, Jesus, uh, the Who, uh, Entwistle, right? John Entwistle, like right. just sure. the way they carry themselves, the way they play the bass, you know, like there's a, there's a, it's a different thing than a lead singer, a lead guitarist, or whatever. It's, it's, different. it's the way, uh, what's his name? Well, from Tool, Justin from Tool, the same way, like, you had you got that cool vibe on stage like um cool. yeah i got this man i'm the anchor here i'm i'm carrying this right now right is it is it something that you've ever thought about the way you look on stage the way you carry your stuff on cuz singers no, do right singers I, singers sorry, yeah. think about the way they look right the only time i think about what i look like on stage is when it isn't going well and i become a little self-conscious but the generally the idea is not to ever be there and just kind of be going for it. It's, it's really, to me, it's like a boxing match. Like it's fighting and it's making it through all the rounds and, 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 you know, knocking the other guy out. So I go into it like a fight. That's how I see it. And either you get knocked out or you knock out. Do you feel that same way about comedy, Joe, when you're on stage? Like, do you, which, which part of it specifically? Are you aware of your physicality on stage? How am I looking? How, how are people perceiving (laughs) me right now? I agree with Bill that it's when it's going bad. Yeah. Suddenly you're like, you're like, what, did, why, what is the shirt that I wore? Well, Joe, it's do? more immediate. You know, like, it's more immediate it's, for you because you can see the people like Bill was talking about. You can, when you're in a comedy club, you can see everybody there. And, and as a single yeah. guy, let me ask, I don't, which I don't like though, which I don't like. Let me ask you this as a single guy, when you're on stage mm-hmm. doing, cause Bill, like 
you're in a fucking rock band. Like, you know, we know all that. But, like, right. you can see the women, Joe, in the audience. Yeah. Do you? Some some of them. I, I don't like when the audience is fully illuminated. That's sort of an illusion. Uh, um or uh, illusions, the wrong word, a misperception uh, of with comedy is that we want the lights way up to see everybody. It's a problem when everybody can see everybody else. They're very self-conscious about laughing, which is well, very similar true. to like a rock to like a dingy rock club. You don't want the lights. up. I, I always hated when I'd go to a place like the Trocadero or wherever in Philly, like a little sweat box, fun rock club and the audience and the band on stage would go, turn the lights up. I want to see this crowd. It's like, no, yeah. I don't. Keep them yeah. down. We're all disgusting right now. Everybody's sweaty. We're drunk. You know what I mean? Like this guy's been making out over here. Like it's just it's a shit show. So like I never uh, it, that's that's a misconception with comedy uh, is that, that well, we should have the lights way up. Nobody feels comfortable when the lights are way up. But you can see I would say this be given the nature given the nature of the type of performance you're a, you have the opportunity to recognize more of the faces in the crowd because of what you're doing and how you're performing. Whereas at a rock show, I don't think it's any much more illuminated. It's just a different thing. Like when you're doing stand up, you're, you know, I watch musicians. I, I so I'm friends with uh, this rapper esoteric. Who's in this group called Zarface with inspector deck and in the, from Wu Tang clan. And I asked him once, I go, I go, he came to one of my shows in Boston. We were talking afterwards and he, he was like, good show. And I go, yeah, I fucked up this joke, this joke. And this. And I go, do you ever fuck up? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, all the time. And I go, what's it like when you like, when do you fuck up on stage? And he goes, here's when I fuck up. Not when it's a completely complicated, a million words a second verse. It's when it's a slow thing and I have time to think. Oh, yeah. Those are the moments is that true? Is that true yeah, for you, yeah. Bill? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's always thinking is really the enemy. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you get caught up in the when you when you're in it, when you're just fucking in it and you're not, it's you're on. That's yeah, you can't daydream. You're just going yeah. when you have a chance to day. I've, I've lost. I've just forgot where I was on stage, which is just absolutely horrible, like horrible, just because it's a really mellow part like. And I just, you can do that, you know, and Which begs yeah, the obvious question, drinking before shows or no, I used to, I used to not imagine not doing it. Now I don't Now all. you're Now, now you're performing sober. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I noticed as I get older, it makes me more tired. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, 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 mm -hmm. it's a depressant, right? I'll definitely have a drink afterwards. Okay. I, I started timing it where, you know, and again, it's an advantage you have as a comic versus a musician. It's just a constant dialogue with the or monologue, I guess, with the audience. But I started timing it where right before I did my last joke, I would go, hey, you know, I'd have a beer up there that I would just sip slowly throughout the hour. And then right before the last joke, as I was thanking everybody, can I get a shot? And there's never do it. Woo! Yeah, <laughs> they get excited. And, and then somebody almost inevitably always sends you a second one and you're like, Ooh, right during this closing four minutes, I'm going to bang these first two shots. Then the show is over and I'm, I'm off. I'm off and cruising into That's whatever cool. we're doing tonight. Bill, right? do you ever miss, yeah. do you ever miss, I got to imagine the after show parties now versus back in the day. Do you ever miss that? 
we had about 12 years where we didn't play together from like 97, 98 till about 2009, 11 years. And uh, we played this download festival in England and it was, it was our Mm -hmm. second coming and this huge festival there. We were the headliners, you know, and it was like a big deal, probably a bigger deal than we were, than we had been before. And uh, how many, how many people are we talking? Like 50, Oh shit! Maybe sixty thousand, wow. fifty thousand. Okay, okay. Huge. And uh, backstage, everybody's just on the computer checking their email, and it's like, <laughs> what? where? <laughs> it's not like, hey, like, what? yeah. It was so dull, though. And we did this whole tour of these huge festivals, and like, what's going on? You know, and it's like it's just dead back there. That's funny, man. Like times change. <laughs> Uh, well, listen, I, this has been amazing. It's been the, we have the record, Billy. This is the longest episode of what we're drinking with Dan Dunn of all time. But you know what? That's for a good reason because I've loved talking to both you guys. Um, cool. I want to, uh, I want to thank Joe DeRosa for coming on. Joe, where do people find you on the social medias? Thanks for having me, buddy. Uh, Joe DeRosa comedy on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Joey Rose's Hard Eight. If you want to follow the sandwich shop, uh, come check us out. If you if you're in New York, like I said at the stand Wednesday through Sundays, twelve to four p.m. Uh, and then you know me and uh, Sal Volcano are doing the Taste Buds podcast where we argue food on the No Presh Network on YouTube. And uh, Pat Walsh and myself are reviewing horror movies on We'll See You in Hell wherever you get your podcasts. So thanks for having me. I might, Joe, I'm, uh, I'm just saying, Billy, man, it, I might have to, we might have to, I, in fact, Billy, you ready for this? It's a big moment. Yeah. I'm going to now designate Joe as our official East Coast occasional guest host. Joe, will you, will you accept oh. this rose? I accept we go. it. So, so guess I what? It. What does this entail? Uh, it sounds like a big. We just have to be on the shows. You have to yeah, do I'm what we just it. did today, but you know. Yeah, I'm into with it with other I love people it. besides I love it. Bill. Bill. I mean, you've done, you know, Bill. And by the way, Bill, you amazing man. First off, the spirit. Yeah, it was so great meeting Iraqia you, Rakia Hiabiga. It's working Ira- for you. Oh man, yeah. it's so good. And and honestly, guys, you know, I I review a lot of stuff here on the show. This is eminently drinkable. And and mixable, and I'm going to find that out later after I get off here. I'm going to I'm going to experiment. Uh, I'm going to, to experiment. To, yeah. well, I'm going to hit you up. Well, I want to experiment and try to make some drinks with this. We'll have you back on the show. Of course, we've already talked about how we're going to do that. Where do where do people find you on social media? Where do they find the uh, brand on social okay. media? So you can get me. Uh, I've got a I've got a Twitter feed that's Mr. Gould, uh, one word. That's me personally. Uh, there's a Yebiga. Rakia Twitter. There's a Yaviga Rakia Instagram, and we have a Facebook page as well. I pretty much answer those inquiries. <laughs> they come to me. So you want to reach me? It's really fantastic. Awesome. Anything else, Joe, yeah. you want to say to Bill before you go? You want to hobble no, him? Billy, you want to you reach out? Do you want to hobble him? No. Would you like to? Do hobble? I want to what? Remember it? Oh, hobble. Oh, the misery. Sorry, I forgot. Uh, I'm going to reach out through Dan to get a Do bottle. And, fantastic. Uh, I, yeah, I really want to it. try this stuff. And and uh, I mean it, man. When I'm out in L.A., when all this crap ends, I was supposed to be out there to see you guys with System of a Down. Uh, in, that was uh, going to be cool. Yeah. Yeah. So game. maybe that comes around again. I come out for the show and then we eat hoagies together. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, and drink uh, and drink booze. But uh, but in any case, I'm going to reach out to get a bottle. I want to really try this stuff. And it was great awesome. to meet you, man. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's actually, I had a great time, too. It's a pleasure great. meeting both of you guys. Best of luck. Yeah. So I want to uh, I want to thank, of course, everybody out there for listening to the show and uh, check out Joe and Bill and follow me at the imbiber and at WWD underscore podcast. That's the end of this show. See you later. Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed.